0: Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangeley Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangeley. And with me, as always, my co-host and Rangeley's founder, Chris DeMuth. It is Thursday, August 4th. And today we're going to talk a bit about how tech companies are making up an increasingly large percentage of the market. And then we'll move on to why a lot of billionaires are bearish on the market. And I think we kind of see some loose threads in between those two. So, Chris... Some background. Uh, As of the start of this month, the five biggest companies in the world are now tech companies. You have, in order, Apple, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook. And all five actually reported – they're kind of the five biggest because they've been spurred by – they reported great Q2 earnings in July, and their stocks have done really well. It's taken them all five up to the the five largest companies in the world. And there are issues with scale here, here, but just to talk about the degree of value creation – over the past month, their stocks have risen by enough to add $110 billion to their market cap. Uh, that is more than McDonald's, for one. So uh, the five now make up 11% of the S&P 500. And I'll turn it over to you to talk about kind of the takeaways from this. These are companies that have been growing geometrically.
1: And if you look at what's been working for, I, I think, especially Amazon, Apple and Facebook, Google too though, and Microsoft to some extent. Although it doesn't fit in Fang. It doesn't have a cool moniker associated yep. with it. It wrecks the Fang mug. But uh the these are things that can continue and the bigness of them is staggering. And they kind of beat out the Exxons and the
0: Walmarts and so forth.
1: But um, yeah, no, I think I think it can continue, uh but it's uh it's a new, it's a new phenomenon.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned the geometric thing, and I think that mm-hmm. that is one of the most interesting things. Look, in the all, almost all of these were started in the last fifteen to twenty years. All four out of five in Microsoft is thirty years ago. And the interesting thing about these guys is, you know, adding a new user, adding a new customer, taking in an incremental dollar of revenue. For most of human history, there was a cost to that right. Your steel plant, you want to put out another unit of steel, it, it costs you something to create that. For Facebook, you add a one person to Facebook. No cost, and you get $20 revenue per month that just kind of falls straight to your bottom line. Go ahead. If you were trying to build the
1: Incan Empire, the farther away you get, you have to get food to these long distances and the farthest reaches are the hardest with these companies. The farthest reaches are the easiest and there's almost limitless
0: economies of scale. Yeah. So let's talk, we're going to come back to that, but let's talk about how a lot of people think we might be in rare ground. So even at the peak of the tech bubble in the Mm -hmm. nineties, tech made up just three of the top five companies. So a lot of people are saying like, Oh, tech's five of the top five tech bubble. Beware Uh, at the time in, the 1990s, uh, Microsoft, Cisco, and Intel were three of the top five biggest. And of course, only Microsoft is still in that top five. And even for them, their market crop cap has dropped from $507 billion kind of in 2000s, in the 2000s to it's $440 billion now. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are looking at historical examples and saying, when one sector dominates the, the most in uh, the S&P 500, that's a warning sign. And a lot of times it doesn't go well for investors. So We've talked a little bit about the geometric, but let's talk about, you know, is this a bubble or is this a sign of things to come, continued wealth creation from tech companies in these five in specific?
1: Um, Let me just lay a little groundwork on general and then kind of speak to tech in particular. Um, The things that I look at, glance at, kind of put in a context um, would say that it's closer to expensive than cheap. So you look at, I look at... Uh, the market cap to GDP. I look at the cape uh, uh, PE ratio.
0: So I think you're you're referring to the market as a whole yes. right now. So why don't, why don't we save market as the whole for our next okay. section? Okay, yeah. okay,
1: okay, okay. Um, uh, but if you look if you look specifically at tech, then I think gee, I don't think there's a natural limiter for tech. I'd say you know after because a lot of the other things are um, finite. You know you need a certain amount of energy. You need gasoline for your car. But if things go well today, you're not gonna overfill the tank, right? Yeah. You need, it's a finite need. And so the idea that Exxon would dwindle at some point in human evolution makes sense to me. And the things you're left over with, I think, are healthcare. You can always... Spend more on health. I think it's strange that people look at that as scandalous. And happiness, fun, connectedness, efficiency, all the things. Health, t- tech, I wouldn't be surprised if it kind of grinds higher till it's a majority of the market at some
0: point. I, I, I 100% agree with you. I think those are all great points. And I think the interesting thing about these companies now is you're really not paying – a high multiple for companies that are dominant in their industries and growing quickly. So Apple, we've talked about, we've kind of got concerns with Apple as a whole, but you're paying 12 times earnings for that. That makes up for a lot of concerns. Google's at 20x and they're growing, you know, 10% per year. Facebook's at 25x and they're growing rapidly. The only one with the high multiple really is Amazon. And in Amazon's case, A, you can easily see it eating up more and more of the retail world, and B, a lot of that high multiple is cuz they're making huge investments in, you know, Amazon Prime, video, which is mm. taking on Netflix. So they're making these huge growthy investments that hold its multiple down. But all of them have a long runway for growth and they're dominating their industries. And that's the sign of something that deserves a big multiple. Go ahead. If
1: you look at the Walmart uh, deal uh, that's being negotiated right now, uh, with Jet.com, it's very clear that the buyer doesn't know how to compete against Amazon, so they're buying a target that doesn't know how to compete against Amazon with the hope that the other one will somehow, in aggregate, know what to do, uh, and it's it's just an almost insurmountable
0: competitive problem. Yeah, so Jet. and Jet.com was an interesting one. They originally started on a membership model, and I think we're going way off topic here. They started oh, on a membership <laughs> model. Uh, But they had issues getting people to pay for their membership because people didn't have the same trust that they do with an Amazon. So people will pay for an Amazon membership and not pay for the Jet.com. And Jet.com's whole thing was you add a bunch of items to your cart, and as you add more and more items, things get cheaper and cheaper because they can pack them all together. Or you can buy – they can send one from a local warehouse versus one from San Francisco. Uh, And people didn't like the complexity of that pricing even though it could save them money. The
1: same people who are frugal also like clarity in pricing. Uh, even if it's more free frugal but less 30. I just wanted to point out that the okay. dominance of these dominant companies doesn't have any natural governor
0: to yeah, it. But I think you a agree, look, Amazon has share of mind, right? When I go to buy something, I go straight to Amazon. I, I kind of don't price shop mm-hmm. too much. Uh, Facebook, if I look to go social network, Google Plus couldn't make any inroads on Facebook because Facebook was where everyone had their friends. Google, uh, Yahoo is getting sold for pennies on the dollar because no one can compete with Google on tech. So all these guys have kind of very insurmountable moats that I think are interesting going forward. I'll let you wrap this up before we move on to bearish billionaires. You know, it's
1: just a, in a world where you can scale, superstars started to get more and more valuable. But now superstars are all that you need. You only need the superstars.
0: And, and that's something that I think society as a whole has to deal with too, right? Like... It used to be if you had a steel plant, you needed to hire 100 steel workers. Now if you have a Google, you don't need to hire 100 computer engineers to run your search engine. You can hire just the best one, and then the other 99 are kind of out of luck. The second
1: best one has no particular value to it. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Uh, So let's move on to bearish billionaires. And you started to talk a little bit about why, but I'm going to give a little overview. So a bunch of professional investors, highly respected, have come out very bearish recently. Uh, Carl Icahn, billionaire activist investor, he's 150% net short as of March 31st. Uh, At the end of last month, his uh, contract with two of his co-portfolio managers expired, and they came out with a press release that said, hey, we don't think now's a great time to – Now's a great time to make investments. We all want to work together, but we're not going to renew the contract until we've got some good ideas. Uh, he also sold out of his kind of famous Apple position because he feared market conditions. Some other, uh, George Soros, the man who's famous for betting against the British pound, he's been hugely bearish so far this year. Larry Fink, Howard Marks, Bill Gross, Jeff Gunlack have all come out with some version of the line. Stocks and or bonds offer low returns and high risk currently. And uh, a lot of private equity firms are bearish as well. Almost every PE firm that we follow is in sell mode right now. Carlisle called this a seller's market where it's better to reap than sow. Uh, PE firms are seeing high prices in selling, and they've all got a lot of dry powder on the sideline. Uh, So, Chris, I'll I'll turn it to you. You can finish that thought you had earlier. Why are people so bearish?
1: Well, there are some things to point to, and I think it's a little bit easier to look at the bond market than the stock market. It's just kind of... Um, uh, break it down and say it is higher than it's been in the past. It's a market that's higher than it's been in other similar environments. Um, But we tend to be, I certainly am, a macro skeptic. These things might orient you to some degree. It might tell you vaguely where you are. But once you start micro, or as I call it, work, once you start looking at a firm and try to break it down and value it and decide if the price system is working or failing... You know, these things, gosh, they're not that useful. And um, billionaires are different than most people, and different than run of the mill, ordinary multimillionaires or millionaires or average people, in that they can be a little self indulgent. You know, the things they say are interesting because they're saying them, including people I hugely admire, like Howard Marks, I'd say, especially on that list, but some of these others as well. And uh, so the bearishness, it's, it's, I listen, uh, but uh, at the same time, I, I'm not a fan of psychics and faith healers, and they have some of the same non-falsifiable characteristics. Yep. Micro is falsifiable. Buy, sell, hold. You have a position, you have a sizing, you're right or wrong, there's no other category. They're always in this third category of vague and... You can kind of say things that isn't completely wrong or completely right.
0: Yeah, so w- let's talk – you talked a little about about the – they can say things a little – that aren't completely wrong or right. I think one of the things is like George Soros. He has been bearish for years and years and years. And it becomes one of those things even a broken clock is right twice a day, right? So if you say – if I say I'm bearish every day for 10 years and then the stock market goes down 10%, I can take a victory lap, even though the stock market could have risen 200% in the meantime, right? But uh, go ahead. He was uh, famously, uh, I mean, he, he made a spectacular fortune on
1: the pound sterling. Uh, short in, in 1992, era, uh, yep. when John Major was the prime minister, uh, and uh, this Brexit, he had kind of vaguely concerned things. He was long pound yep. sterling when Brexit uh, yep. went through, and um, so some of these things are you kind know, of back to the non falsifiability. And I think he made money that month quite a bit, actually. But on some of the things, like, he didn't know exactly what was happening, but he knew how to vaguely overhype.
0: Yeah. And then the other is so we mentioned every private equity firm, who's generally seen as kind of the smartest, most sophisticated money, is in some mode the one exception to that is apollo global uh, they have announced five billion dollars in u.s public buyouts here today god bless them <laughs> uh, five billion dollars in u.s public buyout year to date which is almost as much as the next three largest private equity firms combined mm-hmm. uh so they're obviously in buy mode they're in so mode right now which is funny because in 2013 they when prices were much lower they famously came out and said hey right now we are uh We're selling everything that isn't nailed down, and if it's nailed down, we're refinancing it. So, you know, back then, prices were lower and they were sellers. Now, prices are higher and they're buyers. So, it's kind of interesting to see the divulgence there. But let's talk about uh, why people are so bearish. Uh, And you started talking about it a little bit in our first section. I'll, I'll wrap it up and you can add to this. I think people are bearish because stocks are at lofty levels. If you look at... Just about any longer-term metric, so the one we kind of like is market cap to GDP. We've mentioned that a few times on the podcast. Market cap to GDP is at 120%, uh, and that's approaching the highest levels on record. The only time it's really been higher was in the peak uh, of the internet bubbles in the 1990s. It got to about 150%. But to put this in context, uh, right before the financial crisis in about 2006 – Stocks peaked out at about 110% of uh, GDP. So you can say stocks are more expensive then. And then if you kind of look at it at any normal price to earnings basis, stocks look pretty expensive. Whether it's trailing 12 months earnings, forward earnings, cyclically adjusted earnings. Pretty much no matter what you look at, stocks look expensive. So that's why people are bearish. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, I had written a thing a little while back uh, on the difference between risking being wrong with risking being BS. And the difference really is if you look at these macro things, ask yourself, could it be completely wrong? Mm-hmm. And so some of these, you know, you watch, we don't tend to listen to it that much, but every once in a while we'll have CNBC on or something like that. And if you listen to what they're literally saying, it is usually something along the lines like, Andrew, now is not the right time to be irresponsible. Mm-hmm. Now is not the right time to be overly aggressive and then you just stop and think about that could that ever be wrong like well they said overly aggressive okay it's
0: never the right time to be overly aggressive
1: so it can't be wrong so it can't be right
0: it's bs yeah yeah uh let's see i I think we've got another couple minutes here anything else you want to talk, talk about here or um i would just look at you know i think
1: bubbles and understanding bubbles and being able to correctly describe them is largely a phenomenon. That is in the past tense. You can look back with confidence. When people say they're in a bubble now, it's like you don't really know for sure. Extreme low interest rates can solve for very high equity valuations. Well, and and they, you know, you look at—I mean, the last three. And Goldman has a, a wonderful chart that I've always particularly liked that shows the energy bubble in uh, around. The, 80s, the, the, early the very 80s, early yeah. 80s, the tech bubble at the turn of the most recent turn of the century, and then the financial bubble in right before the financial crisis. And this, the relative scale of that sector within the S and P was 26 percent for the energy bubble, 32 percent for the tech bubble, and 22 percent for the financial bubble. It's kind of interesting to at least note, uh, you know, today, you know, we are towards that, but below the low end of that. In IT, for example.
0: Yeah, well, you mentioned uh, stock valuations versus interest rates, and that's one thing I do have to wonder about, right? Like, if we're saying private equity, if we're saying price to earnings ratios are at 20x and that's historically expensive, well, it was historically expensive when interest rates were kind and we've got an ambulance passing by, that's historically expensive when stocks were kind of at uh, 20x and interest rates were at 8 or 10 percent, but interest rates now are 2 percent and stocks are 20x. So it's really tough to say, Hey, are stocks really that expensive in the context of a 2% interest rate? I don't know, you could kind of you could justify a multiple a lot higher because stocks do grow their earnings over the long term and interest rates remain static. So, it's a good question. Ten seconds if you want any last thoughts. My
1: hope is that micro people can get macro right simply by being more or less exposed because they find more or fewer opportunities,
0: not because of vaguely opining on the overall market. We'll see if that works. So far, so good. Okay. Uh, great. So that's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Boom. If you have any feedback for us, please feel free to email it to us at podcast at Uh We mainly talked Apple, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook. I don't think we have any disclosures, anything we're long there. Go ahead. Nothing. Nothing. Okay, great. So we will talk to you guys next week.